Cross, cutting edge conversations with the Quant community. Welcome everybody to a new Quantcast with Nesnein Sharif. Hi Nesnein. Hi everyone. And myself, Mauro Cesar. We are delighted today to have Hans Buller here. And uh, hi Hans, how are you? Hey, very well. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, thanks very much you for visiting us in our studio. Um, Hans, you are the global head of equity analytics, automation and optimization at JP Morgan here in London. And uh, we invited you here because we wanted to know more about uh, what you call deep hedging. So you created this method, which as uh, the name suggests, uh, is for hedging derivatives exclusively with deep learning techniques. So exclusively with deep learning techniques means um, it is completely independent from the classic replication techniques. Um, this sounds like an innovation that, if implemented in large scale, uh, might have a great impact in the way dealers operate. Uh, obviously, we thought this was worth uh, a deep investigation, and uh, uh, we wanted to have your words on this. So, starting from the very beginning, uh, what, how would you define deep hedging, and how does it work? So, I would say deep hedging, in many ways, is very classical. Because, so when I studied, there was a big discussion around hedging in incomplete markets. It's just that in practice, anything we ever actually used was based on the replication theory. There is, a, in fact, a quite a big literature on theoretical aspects on hedging in incomplete markets. And if you want, you can see deep hedging simply as an implementation of this with machine learning. So something which I think was numerically inaccessible before becomes inaccessible with the, the modern technologies of well, AI, deep learning, machine learning. When did you start um, exploring uh, deep hedging techniques? You know, um, how did you come up with this idea that could be used for hedging? So it was quite a while ago, maybe 2008-ish. We tried to automate the hedging of uh, Book of Ritter derivatives at the time, and we computed Greeks, and we tried to implement the, the hedging strategy based on those Greeks, Lokovol at the time. Um, and we realized relatively quickly that this will not work. Every trader who uses any of these classic models will tell you they have some overrides. Let's make it is delta skew or barrier shifts or any other modifications which the traders often use in order to basically fix the small but still relevant issues with the classic derivative models. There's always some override. So that means if you just use your model in trying to build such a machine, you end up having to figure out all these overrides. At the same time, none of this is systematic usually in the, in the strict mathematical sense. So it keeps requiring human input in order to maintain those. So then the idea was, okay, at the same time, we had an electronic trading team which used none of this. So when you were in electronic trading, nobody ever computed Greeks or anything. Um, they basically relied much more on statistical replication of, you know, let's say, cash basket or um, um, an inventory problem. So here, in this case, we try to use the same thing. We'll say, okay, what happens if we look at a purely data-driven approach to hedging? So instead of computing Greeks, I mean, factually, we're computing regression. That's the idea. That's the first thing we did. We regressed time series of exotics against time series of vanilla options. And it, it kind of worked relatively quickly. And then from there, um, we spent quite a lot of time to you know, understand what we actually want to do, 
understand how you can use it, how can you go further and further. And uh, yeah, that's a long, that's a long history. So that was, you were doing already in 2008, nine? Yeah, so I, I uh, spoke about this this particular part, uh, 2013 and 14 on mm -hmm. Global Derivatives, the conference. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very, if you want, academic in a sense, we, you know, you just tried backtesting actually. So then the machine learning technology came up, which made it m possible to do much heavier and much, much more precise calculations. So this is, this is really the latest step in this. That's really interesting. So what kind of industry problems, uh, you know, at, at this point, do you think you can solve using this technique? So I think when you look at time series of yeah. replication, there are two fundamental issues. One is replicating a portfolio of instruments for which you have a fair price. So listed options, very, very liquid instruments, any of this. So this, I think, is solvable today and is applied. The problem of replication of instruments which do not have such a price, so OTC derivative, I think is, is still something we you know work on because you need much longer time series for the underlying statistical measure, if you want. So for the vanilla case, I think that's applicable right now. So you are circumventing um, the replication technique Altogether, what, what are the risks connected to it? Are you missing out on something, on some information? So like every new technology, the thing is you need to understand whether you have captured all these factors in, in this case, your statistical time series. Mm -hmm. So for example, we don't have a lot of real drawdowns in the markets, but at the same time, there is a risk premium attached to very downside, downside puts, for example. So you need to make sure that your purely, purely statistical method is tuned in order to take care of boundary conditions. We still do use Greeks for, if you want, market risk limits. So for the things which are, you know, a bit outside the ability to measure, though, we still apply the Greeks. So um, you're not, I mean, typically Greeks are used for hedging, but you're, in this case, you're just using it for risk limit. So what are the advantages of not using Greeks, you know, in the sort of classical um, hedging practice? So I think yeah. it fundamentally does what people actually do when they trade. I think yeah. in reality, they do figure out what do I need to do in order to minimize my hedging error in the sense of uncertainty, PNL uncertainty, rather how much vega I have. So basically, it's very data driven if you want. You, you can compute this type of hedging strategy and it's very natural because it's basically saying, given the data I have in the same situation, historically, what would have been the hedge which gives me the smallest tracking error? Fundamentally, that's it. Then you account for cost. So obviously, you know, you have to pay for the hedge. So you have to balance the two. So that's what I meant. You're in a very classic linear setup. So Markowitz portfolio optimization is doing exactly that for cash instruments. So that's why I think it's very intuitive to do. At the same time, it is a bit, it can give you trading strategies which do not quite look like what you would do today. So that's where you need to explain what it actually is you're doing. So how would you summarize the advantages of this over the standard? pricing energy techniques? I think it's it's very data-driven, meaning you can learn to trade something without having to model it in detail, which also means you can automate it much better. So it means it's quicker to compute? Not necessarily quicker to compute. It's, it's more independent of explicit human input. So meaning if I wanted to run a lot of books of options, for example, in parallel, it's very difficult for a human to observe the Vega exposure on a lot of single stocks in parallel. Mm. 
yeah, because each book is very specific and there's, as I said, no a machine, if you want to make a machine which can trade those automatically, that's where this kind of technique comes in. So um, how would the machine learn from sparse data sets if there are any, would that, would that work with this technique? Yeah, so uh, yeah. You, we, one of the challenges for this technique is indeed that the amount of instruments we have in the market, so vanilla options, forwards, discount factors, compared to the actual time series of data which are relevant, isn't that large. So we, you know, one of the challenges is to indeed build market simulation type, so ways of simulating the distribution such that you take care of sparsity. And I think the challenge here is, again, as I said earlier, you need to make sure that you capture also tail events. So, for example, we have gap notes priced on the Eurostox market. If you use a purely statistical time series, you will see that actually the, the, the price of the gap is much higher than the realized gap. But of course, if you, 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 know, you don't want your machine to trade this particular thing, you want to make sure that the machine understands that and acts accordingly. At its uh, uh, current status of this research, um, where is this applicable? What uh, asset classes or type of derivatives? Vanilla options, index vanilla options at the moment. That's what we do at the moment. I think we can go for vanilla options across the board, relatively in short order. And ultimately, the exotics, we hope that we have that something as well, but it's not not quite there yet. Yeah, and uh, do you have a, a, a timescale for the research on that uh, on that space? It's very, um, so when you look at the deep hedging paper, it works like it is, right? It, it, does, it does compute it. But what you need to do is you need to rerun the machinery every time you change the portfolio at the moment. We are trying to come up with a formulation which you don't have to do this anymore. Basically, you can train it takes two, three weeks even, but once it's done, you can use a fixed model. But that's classic reinforcement learning. So if, if you look at the, at the paper, reinforcement learning usually is entirely driven by the state, which should include the, the actual portfolio. So once you've done this, unless the market changes fundamentally, you should be able to reuse the calibration for your instrument. So we have research on that in order to do that. And in practical terms, if a technique like this is adopted by a bank. What does it mean for the traders? What does it mean for risk management? How do operation, operations in the bank change? I think it changes quite a bit because the idea is that people who today basically spend their time adjusting for the deficiencies in classic Greek type models now need to understand how the statistics work. So effectively what does happen is that the machine proposes a trade which may not be intuitive. And then the question is always why? So the people who are, let's say, the trading traders need to be able to understand why, how does the machine come up with a particular answer. And if they then believe the answer is wrong, how do I adjust this? For example, feed more information, feed more data, change the objective, any of those. I think so this means that the, the trading team also has to have a minimum level of skill to handle those machines. So we are spending time on, you know, teaching Python everybody. We have Jupyter notebooks available to the trading desk. So they have the ability to access the machinery or generally our analytics infrastructure. And I think that's what will change, not just for trading, also for sales instruction. Of course, the skill set is going to be different. I think so, yeah. So are the benefits of this technique is that much higher for um, exotics, illiquid products, 
um, is, you know, the the aim to ultimately apply to that range of products because the standard methodologies don't really work very well. I mean, as I said, yeah. I think for I mean, my that's my personal view. I think this technique yeah. you will be able to apply it. I wouldn't say for everything. So everything which yeah. has is, is relatively liquid, where basically the unit risk in relation to the market is hedgeable. So if you have a yeah. very large exposure, let's say in a single underlying, I think that's something people will have to manage manually because in the end, there's a lot of, there's a judgment call to be made whether that risk is appropriate. Whereas a book of retail structured derivatives, I think is a much more palatable target for this type of technique. So, you know, there, there has to be an averaging effect, I think. Otherwise, it's basically idiosyncratic risk decision-taking, in which case I think you'll, you'll, you'll have to do it as you do today. Fair enough. And what are the caveats to the implementation of deep hedging techniques? It's the data. So as you said yeah. earlier, yeah. Um, it's the sparsity. There's also data has to be clean. And anytime you go for automation, small errors in the data can easily make your machine very unstable. So, for example, you need to know when there's an event coming up. So there are the events which are scheduled, you know, classic uh, financial events, but also what happens if there is, let's say, a change in the regime due to some political events, you need to have the ability to react to that with that technique. So this is the kind of thing where you need to spend a lot of time in order to make sure that the machine can be A, controlled, and B, can also pick up such, such upcoming events. So machine learning and uh, techniques uh, of that area um, often suffer from... Um, um, the black box problem. So where is the interpretability issue in this technique? How do you address that? So at the moment, at least, everything we do is feature-based learning. So we don't do full black box in the sense of you give it a data stream and you ask the machine to find the, the important features. We actually tell them what features we think are important. So this alleviates the problem somewhat because what it means you can change your feature, let's say the level of vol, you can change it and see how the trading strategy will change. So you have a sense of the sensitivity of the trading strategy with and the price with respect to your input parameters. So this is what we do. Of course, ultimately, maybe one day you go to more uh, real deep learning. Um, in this case, it's going to be more difficult. But at the moment, that's mainly what we do. So this is a more broader question. Do you envisage banks adopting deep hedging on a much larger scale? I, I do think so, yes. I think ultimately, not just hedging, I think the Greek framework was developed at a time where data and compute was very restricted. So it was the right choice to do. That was 20, 30 years ago, right? So if you were today, know nothing about the problem and you would go in and just start working on it, I don't think you would come up with black shots. And I think this happens to a lot of processes, not just in banking, across the world, that techniques which were the right choice to do 20 years ago, when we did not have the amount of data and compute we have today, I think will get replaced by much more data-driven processes across the place. And I think that is something more structural. And of course, banking being very data by definition, I think lends itself to that application. I don't think everything will do deep AI because a lot of data in, fi in finance are actually relatively sparse. Um, you know, the amount of transactions we have is not that high when you compare it to, uh, let's say, retail, retail sales uh, products. Um, but I still think this technique will shift the financial industry a lot. 
Well, that is extremely, extremely interesting, and uh, surely we'll keep an eye on uh, any development on this space. And uh, well, this is everything we wanted to ask you today. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Bye.